Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Sleepwalkers is a production of iHeartRadio and Unusual Productions. So, I mean, let's just ground the conversation for a second. There's 2.2 billion people who use Facebook. That's about the size of Christianity. There's 1.9 billion people who use YouTube. That's about the size of Islam. That's Tristan Harris. When I walk into that Facebook room, you know, I'm walking into a room that's designed to never make me leave. (laughs) With a thousand engineers using supercomputers to calculate the perfect seductive thing to put in front of my brain. And Tristan knows a thing or two about seduction. I was a design ethicist at Google and have spent a decade understanding some of the invisible forces that shape the way that we see and make sense of the world and choose in the world. In case you're wondering, they teach this stuff in school. Well, they do at Stanford. I studied at this lab called the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab that teaches engineering students about the entire discipline of persuasion. Everything from, you know, how to persuade dogs with clicker training. So click, click, you know, you got the food, click, click, reward, all the way to casino design and slot machines and how do you change the lighting to get people to buy things. And then, you know, supermarket design and choice architecture and putting the candy in the final aisle because that's the thing that gets you to buy. Tristan and his classmates used what they learned at the Persuasive Technology Lab to define how we live online. My partners in that class in 2006 at Stanford were the founders of Instagram. Half my friends built some of these products and then did the like button. Think about that for a moment. The people who designed the apps we use the most learned how to make them as appealing as possible by borrowing the science that trains dogs and gets people hooked on gambling. And now all of that is baked into a device that's basically become an extension of our body. We check our phones about 80 times a day. That's the conservative number. And, you know, their incentive is to calculate what is the perfect, most seductive thing I can show you next. The most seductive red color for that notification or the most seductive video that, you know, you can't help but want to watch next. At a time when technology is changing faster than our ability to understand it and seeping into nearly every corner of our lives, what kind of murky future are we sleepwalking into? What can we do to take back some control? And how is emerging technology changing our lives for the better? This is Sleepwalkers. 
So welcome, I'm Oz, and I'm doing this show because I'm fascinated with how we relate to the technologies that are changing our lives, whether they end up being something like Dr. Frankenstein's monster or AI-crafted seltzer water. In this episode, we look at how our technology gets into our heads, and we take on some distinctly modern monsters, from the trick to successful online dating to deterring potential terrorists with invisible technology. And I'll have some company along the way. So... Hi. <laughs> That's Cara Price. She's my friend, and she hosted a show called Talk Nerdy to Me for the Huffington Post. Um, so I saw this article in the Times, the New York Times, about how all of these Silicon Valley execs are taking away their kids' screen time, you know, telling their kids' nannies that the nanny can't use screens. And there's actually this quote from Mark Zuckerberg's former executive assistant, this woman, Athena Chavaria. <laughs> she says... I am convinced the devil lives in our phones and is wreaking havoc on our children. But is that like the devil is in the details or is it like the devil who lives in hell? No, I think it's the red <laughs> devil who wears no clothes. That guy's in the phone. Yeah. Because you know what he does? What? He leaves people into temptation. That's right. That's the devil's job. That's really right. And it is. Have you ever seen a child on an iPad? Have yeah. you ever seen me? Well, have you ever seen me? No. Yes. Yeah, mesmerized. Clickety clack. Don't come back. Actually, Sean Parker, who was the first president of Facebook, said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. God and the devil. <laughs> Here's all of these technology executives who have built basically what we use every day to do everything from being in touch with our friends to meeting our lovers to getting from A to B. And suddenly they're saying, well, you, you guys go ahead, but um, not for my kids. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that this feels very similar to the conversation we have surrounding you know, junk food, sugar, tobacco, alcohol. These are things that your parents are supposed to protect you from up until a certain point, whether it's when you go to college or whatever. And now our technology use, whether it be how much we're on social media or how much time we're spending gaming on our screens, is, is something that parents have to regulate. The problem is, one, like, I'm too old for my parents to regulate it, so, so what am I going to do? And also, like, my parents use it. So it is sort of like sugar in the sense it's like there are parents that tell their kids not to eat sugar who have major sugar addictions. We've had those conversations in the past, and now we're starting to have them about technology. But how do we tell our kids to regulate their use of technology when we can't regulate our own? And what does it say to us that we can't regulate our own technology? Here's Kara with a story of what happens when your ad servers think they know everything about you but actually get it all wrong. I just wrote the whole thing in like 30 minutes, just, <laughs> you know, banging the keyboard, just sobbing the whole time. Dear tech companies. Gillian is a social media power user. She uses Twitter for work at the Washington Post and Facebook for her social calendar. Even her wedding is on YouTube. And in late 2018, she was entering the final months of her pregnancy. She and her husband, Bobby, were doing the normal what to expect when you're expecting stuff, preparing for their newborn son to come into their lives. I can remember about two days before everything happened, soaking in the tub, and I was just thinking, God, this has just gone perfectly. Like, I've never been accidentally pregnant, despite not always being responsible. and. We had no problem getting pregnant when we wanted to, despite my being 38. So I was just like, wow, one and done. This totally worked. A couple days later, I was feeling some pain. So I called the doctor's office and I said, 
well, I haven't felt a move today. And they said, okay, come in. And so I went in and they put me on the sonogram and I knew immediately. I was just screaming, no, no, no. A week or so after Gillian's son died, she was being haunted by targeted advertising. Ads that assumed she had given birth to a healthy baby boy. When I would scroll through Facebook or Instagram, I would get maternity wear ads. And so I was like, okay, I have to teach it that I'm not pregnant anymore. Gillian did the only thing people can do with ads they don't want to see. She clicked the three dots in the corner of the ad and gave feedback. So I would say, I don't want to see this ad. And then it would say, why? And I would say, because it's not relevant to me, which is like so hard to acknowledge. But Gillian learned the hard way that the Facebook algorithm isn't programmed for the outcome of a stillbirth. Then when I, God, when I got that Experian email, I just, I can't even, like, I just snapped. Finish registering your baby for lifelong credit tracking. I just, I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. Gillian was angry. And she knew she had a platform, so she wrote the letter and posted it on Twitter. Dear tech companies, I know you knew I was pregnant. You probably saw me Googling maternity plaid and baby-safe crib paint. And I bet Amazon.com even told you my due date when I created that Prime registry. And silly me, I even clicked once or twice on the maternity wear ads Facebook served up. What can I say? I'm your ideal engaged user. But didn't you also see me Googling baby not moving? And then the announcement posts with keywords like heartbroken and problem and stillborn and the 200 teardrop emoticons from my friends. Gillian's letter struck a chord. It got retweeted 28,000 times. And shortly after Gillian posted her letter to Twitter, she received a response tweet from Facebook's VP of ads, Rob Goldman. I'm so sorry for your loss, he said and your painful experience with our products. We have a setting available that can block ads about some topics people may find painful, including parenting. It still needs improvement, but please know that we're working on it and welcome your feedback. So I turned it off. And within a few hours, I got an ad for adoption agencies. And the next day I got an ad for um, father-son matching onesies. I've taken screenshots of all. Every time I get one, I just take a picture of it. Just like, it's not working. Yeah, the adoption one, GFY, you know. Rob Goldman's advice may have changed the ads, but it didn't solve the fundamental problem. The algorithms couldn't stop reminding Gillian of her loss. Other people were like, well, don't be on Facebook at all. You know, don't do any of those things. And first of all, I don't think that's realistic. Especially because for Gillian, Facebook was also providing comfort through it all. It was helpful to have my friends chiming in and saying, we're so sorry. You know, what can we do? And, you know, a bunch of people made an Uber Eats fund for me and my husband so we could just have food delivered while, when we got home. It's like, you know, the 21st century bringing over a lasagna. <laughs> and this was all organized on Facebook? Yeah, it was on Facebook. And ironically, it helped her connect with people going through the same thing. A woman who used to go to my church, she had a stillbirth on Christmas Day, a few weeks after I did. And the memorial service for her baby was posted to Facebook. I wouldn't have known about it and I wouldn't have gone if I hadn't checked Facebook. 
Gillian isn't planning to delete social media. She just wishes it could be better. She's still going to use it to keep in touch with friends and family. But whereas she was once comfortable with her wedding on YouTube, there are now some things she won't be comfortable sharing. And I have to say now, having this experience, you know, I knew I was being tracked, but having the the tracking revealed to me in such a garish display, if we do have a living child someday, I think that's going to be actually really easy for me to just be like, no, internet, you don't get to have that. Even after the experience, Gillian doesn't hate Facebook. At the same time, she wouldn't want her future children tracked. A bit like the Silicon Valley execs we talked about earlier taking their own children off social media. But what if the same targeting technology that harmed Gillian could help others and keep people who are hurting from damaging themselves and society? And what if it wasn't a broad group like new mothers being targeted by ad bots, but a specific group of people having their personal search results changed. I heard about a program at Alphabet, Google's parent company, trying to do just that, and I wanted to know more. We'll get there after the break. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Hi. Hi, my name is Yasmin Green. I am the Director of Research and Development at Jigsaw. We are sitting in one of our rooms in our New York office. The name of the meeting room is Smoke Signal. Communication technology. Yeah, they're all named after different communication technologies. Jigsaw is a part of Alphabet and Google that's focused on technology that addresses big security challenges. 
So how did Jigsaw begin? Two decades ago when we were designing the platforms and apps, we were not really imagining that repressive governments and criminals and terrorist groups were like salivating about innovating to use these platforms just as just as well as everyone else. Um, and now we realize that we really need to understand their goals and their activities if we want to keep people safe online. It's Yasmin's job to look at how those repressive regimes, criminals and terrorist groups operate, find trends and try to counter them. Our approach is to try to understand the human journeys and to understand the role of technology and see if we can build technology that stops people getting to the point that we would consider them a violent extremist or a terrorist. So if you want to understand terrorists, where do you start? Well, to better understand extremism, Yasmin's team used some somewhat extreme methods themselves. One of the first things we did in 2011 was we brought together 84 former extremists and survivors of terrorism. And we had Islamists, people who'd gone to fight in Afghanistan or Al-Shabaab from Somalia, Nigerian Islamist militia. But we also had a former violent Israeli settler. We had former Christian militia. We got them all together in one place. Can you imagine the security concern for Google in helping us <laughs> convene everyone in one place? We had snipers on the roof. We had six months vetting for everyone. We cared about them being public and associated with an NGO to bring people out of those extremist groups. And beyond gathering all the former terrorists in one place, Yasmin's team also invited the victims of terrorism. We had survivors. So we had people who celebrated 9-11 and people who had lost family members in 9-11. We had a lady who said that she had woken up in hospital with a name band on her wrist that said gender unknown because her body was like so mutilated. The point of bringing everyone together was to say, what is common in the human radicalization path, even when you're looking across ideologies? And uh, does technology have a role to play? In other words, Yasmin wanted to understand how people become terrorists and what role the internet plays. But Jigsaw's role was never just to have summits and collect the information. They wanted to take action, and ISIS was the obvious place to start. In March of this year, ISIS actually lost the last of its remaining territory. But when the caliphate was at its height, thousands of foreign fighters were recruited online. They left their homes in places like Germany, England, America, for the battlefields of Syria. This trip that we took to Iraq where we spoke to defectors of ISIS was really instructive for us. We had these face-to-face -face conversations with these young men who had left home, gone to Syria and Iraq, trained with ISIS, did their religious indoctrination with ISIS, got their postings, some of them as suicide bombers, some of them as technical drivers, some of them as night watchmen. And they had realized that it was all a lie. So they're telling us about it and we say, if you knew the day that you left, everything that you know now, would you still have gone? And they invariably said that they would still have gone. Honestly, I'd already finished Yasmin's sentence in my head. I thought she was going to say, they invariably said that they wouldn't have gone. But in fact, knowing they were facing not just heroic martyrdom, but bread queues, lack of medical care, splintered leadership, they still would have left the comfort of their home countries. Again, places like America, England, Canada, to travel to Syria, an active war zone. So Jigsaw needed to understand what were ISIS doing to lure people in that was so very powerful. We identified the recruitment narratives and they were largely around people who thought that this was a devout, correct religious thing to do, that this was a Muslim utopia that was going to lead to a healthier, happier life than remaining in the West. 
um, people who were interested in the military conflict. So there were several. And we generated a targeting strategy to reach these people based on their online browsing, specifically like their online searches. Take a moment to absorb that. Based on online browsing history and searches, Jigsaw were able to identify potential extremists and serve them ads to push them towards alternative content. But wouldn't that raise alarm bells for the people doing the searching? Yasmin and her team had to be subtle. If you were interested in fatwas about jihad, religious edicts about jihad, we would give you those religious edicts, just not the ones that ISIS was proposing, but alternative ones. Or if you're interested to understand what life is like in the caliphate, let's show you citizen journalism of the long queues for bread or the state of the hospitals in the caliphate. So you're still getting something that addresses your interest. Um, It would just be an alternative information source to the one that you were looking for. And it was really important to us to make sure that we were targeting, you know, and finding people who were really at risk as opposed to just people who were interested in ISIS. That's right. Looking at browsing and search history, Jigsaw and Google can look at two different people looking up fatwas online and only serve redirecting ads to one. When you get a level more granular, you can start to set up a targeting strategy that really does differentiate mainstream interest in this group to the people who are, you know, sympathetic and potential joiners. has turned out to be really effective. Since my conversation with Yasmin, a terrorist attack on two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, killed 50 people and focused the world's attention on the threat posed by far-right terror. I emailed with Yasmin and she told me that she and her team are, quote, attending to the far-right threat with increased urgency. I think it's nice that they're trying to fix things, but, you know, it's like the Anheuser-Busch family funding a study on alcohol. Right, I guess except we kind of know alcohol is bad, whereas we can still hope that the internet is neutral. Although it is clear that the internet's become a key method of radicalization for terrorists of all stripes. And so for me, at least, it's good to know that the technology companies are acknowledging that and smart people like Yasmin are working on it. Although it does also mean living in a world where our main internet search providers also edit the results. Do we want Google controlling what we know about the world? Or recommending what else we should know? Right. And then what if Google turned that immense power to influence directly onto me or you? More on that after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, 
all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Tristan, we've been talking about Jigsaw and their manipulation. Um, When you look at elections and the way extremist groups are using technology to radicalize and proliferate, um, should tech companies be trying to offset some of the damage they're doing by intervening for good? Yeah, well, this is an incredibly nuanced topic because essentially the way to see what's going on with technology today is there's a massive asymmetry. It would be easy for you and I and Yasmin to say, clearly ISIS is bad and terrorism is bad. So let's redirect when you're searching for things that look like terrorist videos. But if you suddenly then open the door and say, you're about to watch a video on climate change, And people at Google, for whatever reason, believe that climate change wasn't real. And they said, we're going to start redirecting you away from that. Again, who would they be to say? And that's actually a critical juncture that we're at right now, because there's a kind of a pluralism where we all believe and think different things. And we want to say that's your truth and not my truth. And so we have this collapse of, well, who is the moral authority on these topics? And after all, we're all Americans. Well, not me. But as citizens of a democracy, we have a voice in our diplomacy. What about as users of the internet? I think it's important that we not try to just have a philosophy cocktail conversation and debate it. We have to actually recognize that this is having real-world consequences. But the difficult thing to reckon with is that it all comes back to attention. YouTube has a tilt where on the one side of the spectrum, you have the calm, science, Carl Sagan slowly explaining. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have UFOs, Bigfoot, conspiracy theories, and crazy town. If I'm YouTube and I want you to watch more, let's say you start at the science section. If I want you to watch more, which direction between those two am I going to steer you? I'm always going to steer you to crazy town. So at scale, even in languages that the engineers don't speak, the algorithms have figured out that crazy town is really, really good at getting people's attention. And we know the effect isn't just on politics. What about regular people who get pushed into joining ISIS or taking other extreme positions? If you start a teen girl on a dieting video, the YouTube algorithm recommends anorexia videos because it's calculating away and figures out those are the things that are really good at keeping people of that age demographic on YouTube. And if you start someone on a September 11th news video of the planes crashing into the towers, the recommendations are all going to be the 9-11 conspiracy theory videos and Alex Jones. Uh, YouTube actually recommended 15 billion times Alex Jones videos, two billion of which were viewed, even if only one out of a thousand of those people believed it. So one out of a thousand people watching those two billion views believed it. That's like printing a, you know, a church of Scientology cult about, you know, once a month in terms of the scale. We are jacked into these systems. We are jacked into these environments that are telling us and and steering us towards flows of attention and ways of seeing the world that are inevitable. And the question is, what flows of attention do we want? 
and in the end it all comes down to who's steering the ship and what they're steering you towards. Who watches the watchman? Yasmin argues that Jigsaw takes ethics heavily into consideration, but not all companies do. And Tristan actually has a radical idea. He believes that we need to wean ourselves as an economy and as a society from business models that compete for our attention to sell us things. I think we really underestimate that this is affecting every layer of society. And when you have three or four tech companies choosing what will show up in the minds of two billion people every day, you know, our minds are the source of all of our actions. But don't we bear some responsibility for our own actions? Isn't that part of the American dream? After all, no one forces you into a casino or to buy that bar of chocolate as you're paying at the supermarket. Right? You know, you're the one clicking on those YouTube videos. You're the ones who are clicking on those Russian ads. You're the ones, you know, checking your phones because of those light colors that are shining up all the time. We're just giving people what they want. You're responsible for your choices. What we have to do is flip the table around. We're not giving people what they want. We're giving people what they can't help but watch. And once we acknowledge that, we can start to find some reasons to hope. We've found by getting Apple and Google to launch both um, these digital well-being initiatives, which take the blue light out of your screens and go grayscale late at night and show you ways of minimizing the time you spend on your phone and things like that. It's a baby step in the right direction, but that happened against their own business interests because the engineers themselves started to see it this way. Of course, this addiction economy is fueling so much more, from hack democracies to radicalization to mental health issues and the epidemic of loneliness. The list of problems that we need to solve is much bigger than just making our phone grayscale. And that's what has to happen next. Happily, not everything in life that makes us feel good is bad for us, and some targeted recommendations can make us very happy indeed. So let's talk about love, because one of the ways that you might have felt AI touch your life is through online dating. Maybe the person you woke up next to this morning was matched to you by a computer algorithm. And according to a study released in January 2019 by Stanford, 29% of straight and 65% of LGBTQ couples now meet online. Tinder processes 2 billion swipes per day. That's a lot of data. And it feels pretty good to meet someone you like, no matter how it happens. The LGBTQ statistic makes a lot of sense to me because we don't have to come in contact with judgment, with hate speech, with homophobia, whatever it may be. There's a lot less of it when it's a peer-to-peer thing on your phone, hopefully. The other thing is the heterosexual dating pool is a pool. The, in my case, lesbian dating pool is a a puddle. And that puddle at least can be amplified on an app like Hinge and Tinder and whatever. I mean, I have noticed a lot more gay couples in the New York Times wedding section, which I read religiously. The other thing that I notice is that a lot of the couples, both straight and gay, meet on apps. It's interesting to see that it's influenced the culture in that way, so much so that, you know, X amount of people per week are meeting on those apps. Mm -hmm. And actually, in the States right now, there's been quite a significant uptick in interracial marriages, so that's pretty cool. And it's something to really celebrate as well. I mean, I, I was on Instagram a few days ago, and I saw somebody who uploaded a picture of their wedding cake, which had the Tinder logo <laughs> on it. Um, so, you know, people feel real sense of gratitude and excitement about meeting their partner, obviously. And one person who had a successful Tinder experience is 
the producer of this show, Julian Weller. That's right. So I met my girlfriend online, and I've actually been to a couple weddings also that they called Tinderella stories. Mm, if the iPhone case fits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think in essence, the use of something like Tinder is that it just makes your dating pool bigger, to Kara's point. But there are other apps, right? There's other approaches where people can enter lots more information in about themselves beyond just this sort of casual way to meet. We wanted to find out more about the data that drives who we fall in love with. So we spoke to Helen Fisher. I'm Dr. Helen Fisher. I'm a biological anthropologist at the Kinsey Institute. I've written six books on love, put people in brain scanners, and actually I'm also the uh, chief scientific advisor to Match.com. We've been talking a lot about computer algorithms influencing behavior in this episode. But what motivates us in the first place? Well, there are pathways and rules in the brain, not unlike a computer. I developed a questionnaire some time ago that's now been taken by 14 million people in 40 countries, actually. And there's patterns of behavior. I mean, we walk around with algorithms in our head. I mean, the brain is constantly responding to all kinds of things, and it certainly is a series of algorithms. So... If the brain is like a collection of computer algorithms, but much more complicated, what are the inputs? What drives who we fall in love with? There's four brain systems that each one of them is linked with a constellation of biological traits, and they are the dopamine, serotonin, testosterone, and estrogen systems. And so I create a questionnaire to see what, you know, how you express the traits in each one of these systems. Once Helen had developed the quiz, she validated it using a brain scanner. And then I watched now 14 million people. And Helen got an insight into the brain system that makes us experience love in the first place. When we put the people in the machine, I had expected that brain regions linked with the emotions and cognitive processes would become active, and they do. But what everybody had in common is activity in brain regions way at the base of the brain linked with drive, with craving, with focus, with motivation, with energy. In other words, Helen found that the ability to fall in love is just as deep in the brain as other survival drives, things we have no control over. But it lies right near factories that orchestrate thirst and hunger. Thirst and hunger keep you alive today. Romantic love drives you to fall in love, form a pair bond, and pass your DNA into tomorrow. That brain system, the one that makes us feel that we need to eat or need to drink or need to be with someone, is also the one that drives addiction. And that has implications for the technologies we use every day, beyond just dating apps. Not only the substance addictions, but the behavioral addictions like gambling or food addiction. That brain region became activated not only among people who were madly and happily in love, but also among people who were rejected in love, and even in people who were in love long term. And it is linked with the addiction centers in the brain. And perhaps at some point, we're going to come to understand a much broader view of the word addiction. This brings us right back to what Tristan was saying. Our apps and smart devices are hijacking some of the deepest and most powerful systems in our brain. The truth is that Tinder, apps, social media validation, they all generate the same feelings as romantic love. So, of course, we're prone to be addicted. We want to look at somebody, to hear somebody, to have somebody respond to us. If you're an alien who, who came to Earth and you looked at the way a human touched their phone, <laughs> always having it in their hand, caressing it, <laughs> reaching for it with a panicked look in their eye, yeah. responding to it with a smile, you would say the same thing is happening. Well, it's very different, but it may be stimulating some of the same brain systems. I mean, you know, when you feel fear, you feel fear. As Helen found, 
Love is fundamentally about the survival of our species, so it's handled by the same part of our brain as hunger, thirst, and addiction. And it's those very brain centers that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram appeal to, using behavioral science to keep us engaged, to keep us sharing. So when 28,000 Twitter users retweeted Gillian's open letter to the technology companies, they did it because on a very deep level, it triggered a survival response. And in turn, that feedback loop is addictive. You know, I did a study with Match, and I asked the singles in America, uh, do you feel that these machines are addictive? And something like 80, over 80% said yes. And 40% of people said that they would like to go back to dating without any of them. And knowing how tempting it can be to keep swiping, keep searching, Helen has some advice for those of us looking for love. It's very well known in this community that the more choices you have, the less likely you are to choose anybody. So one of the things that I say to people is, after you meet nine people, stop and get to know at least one of those people more. Because all the data show that the more you get to know somebody, the more you like them and the more they, you think that they're like you. You know, for millions of years, we weren't doing this over the internet or even the telephone. We were doing this in person. I mean, that's the way people met and the brain is built to meet in person. Helen Fisher still believes in love. She just doesn't want you to sleepwalk into endlessly swiping, endless dates spurred by an addiction to see what's next, what's possible, what's right around the corner. We know we're at a dangerous crossroads and that we're susceptible to manipulation. And companies know they can manipulate us for good and evil with technology that touches us at our evolutionary roots. But the future of those technologies isn't inevitable. And we still have the power in our hands to decide what to allow in our lives. Because the ways we decide to live with new technologies could have as much impact on our lives as the Constitution or the New Deal. What we decide to do next and how we do it will have consequences. And on this series, we'll be interviewing some of the world's greatest thinkers, the people who are changing the future of our food and the researchers helping disabled people control machines with their minds. Together, we'll see what we can do to pry our eyes open from this dangerous sleepwalk. I'm Oz Veloshin. See you next time. Sleepwalkers is a production of iHeartRadio and Unusual Productions. There's so much we don't have time for in our episodes, but that we'd love to share with you. So, for the latest AI news, live interviews, and behind-the-scenes footage, find us on Instagram at Sleepwalkers Podcast or at sleepwalkerspodcast.com. Sleepwalkers is hosted by me, Osvaloshin. And co-hosted by me, Kara Price. We're produced by Julian Weller with audio editing by Jacopo Penzo, Taylor Shikoin, and mixing by Tristan McNeil. Our story editor is Matthew Riddle. Recording assistance this episode from Chris Hambrick and Jackson Bierfeld. Sleepwalkers is executive produced by me, Osvaloshin, and Mangesh Hatigara. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Brakes? We can save you 15% on that. We have OE quality Duralask brake pads and rotors in stock, ready for pickup or delivery. We also have calipers, brake fluid, tools, and anything else you'll need to do the job right. When you get Duralask pads and rotors together, you'll save 15%. It's just part of what makes us America's number one brakes destination. Get in the zone, auto zone.